Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. Hey, bed crimers. Hope you're having a lovely day. To anyone new, a warm welcome. Thanks for checking out the channel. Do me a favor after you listen to and or watch this video. If you found you enjoyed it or learned something, please do me a favor and hit that like button. Now, let's dig in. In the probable cause affidavit for suspect Brian Koberger's arrest, Officer Payne of the Moscow Police Department writes that a latent shoe print, presumably from the perpetrator's shoe, was found just outside the surviving roommate DM's bedroom. That shoe's sole was found to be consistent with those popular Vans-style tennis shoes, I find it fascinating that this shoe print was located right outside the door of the one and only eyewitness to the mysterious masked man. That roommate, DM, came so close to danger as that man walked down the hallway to exit the home through the sliding glass doors in the kitchen. Why was that one and only shoe print found right outside DM's bedroom door? She told the police that when she heard crying from what she thought was Xana Kurnodal's bedroom, she cracked open her bedroom door, and upon peeking out, DM was shocked to see a masked man walking toward her. Did that masked man maybe stop for a second outside DM's door, just long enough to leave that latent shoe print in that one location. If he did stop there, which is maybe why he left a latent shoe print in that exact location, is there more to DM's story than she shared? I personally do feel that there's more to DM's story than what she told the police. And I say this not to shame her, but rather to try and find a reason that justifies her not dialing 911 right after that man departed through the sliding glass doors. No one called 911 until eight hours later, and no matter how many people say DM was shocked for those entire eight hours, I have trouble believing that. But then again, I've never, thank God, been in that situation. But DM, like any of us, would have a survival instinct that kicked in on that early Sunday morning when she saw the masked man walking toward her. She, like any one of us, would have done anything in that moment to save her life. And no one can find fault with that. I think it's possible DM made a deal with this masked monster. Hear me out. And by the way, if she did make such a deal, I say bravo, because when all was said and done, she was still alive. No one would want anyone else in that house to have lost their life in this senseless crime. Did the masked man stand in that spot just outside DM's bedroom door where the latent shoe print was found for longer than she stated? Did he maybe stop walking for a second? Why was that one latent shoe print found right outside the door of the one eyewitness who saw him who survived? Knowing about that shoe print and the fact that DM did not dial 911 and no one else dialed 911 until eight 
long hours later, really makes me wonder if perhaps the masked man did see Dylan. When DM saw the offender, he was likely holding a sharp-edged object in one hand and was probably saturated with the red stuff. He was also wearing a mask that covered all of his face except his eyes. And he may not have felt that he had to do DM in for that reason. She could not identify him because she only could see his body and his eyes. Also, it was dark, so she may not even have seen his eyes well enough to say what color they were. And DM did tell the police, despite being able to describe his physique and height, that she did not recognize this man. If the offender saw DM, why didn't he harm her? Here are some possible explanations. One, perhaps he was utterly physically drained at that point. Experts have said it takes a lot of energy to do what he did to even one person, let alone four. Two, maybe he was satisfied that he'd done in his primary target and he had vented all his rage. And I do think he had a target at 1122 King Road in Moscow, Idaho. Because of the 12 visits, Kohlberger's cell phone made to that neighborhood prior to the crime. Some people are saying that maybe Koberger was there 12 times to purchase illicit substances because A, he was once addicted to the big H, and B, Zana Cronado's mother had substance abuse issues. I'm going to say that Occam's razor tells me that this is likely not the case. First, there's no evidence so far that Koberger was still addicted to H. Second, why would Zana's mother's issues lead anyone to believe that drugs were being sold out of the King Road residence? I know a neighbor mentioned that the area was at some point a spot where you could purchase drugs, but I don't believe Koberger was there for that reason. His cell phone pinged on a cell tower in the area of the King Road residence 12 times prior to the crime, and a white Elantra matching the one Koberger drives was captured on video on November 13, 2022, right at the time when the four students were done in. Koberger also happens to be a student of criminology. The simplest explanation for Koberger's 12 visits to the girls' neighborhood in Moscow after we've been told that Koberger's Elantra was captured on video near the crime scene at the time of the crime is that the grad student who studied criminology was doing research on his future victims. I bet we will find out that the 11 nocturnal visits were either on Saturdays or Sundays. I think Koberger knew from studying offenders like serialist Dennis Rader that to get away with such a crime, he needed to research his chosen targets. He needed to know their schedules, especially for the day of the week on which he planned to commit the crime in early Sunday morning. Thus, he needed to know when his intended victims turned out the lights and went to bed after a night of partying on Saturday 
and into Sunday morning. Back to the reasons the masked man might not have harmed DM. The third possibility is that maybe the tip of the sharp-edged object had broken off and it was no longer effective. And the fourth reason that I can think of for why the masked man didn't harm DM is this. He made a deal with DM. Maybe he did see her bedroom door cracked open, or even in the act of being opened, and maybe he saw her face poke out from the door. Maybe he stopped outside her bedroom door where he left that latent shoe print and said something to the effect of, your four friends are deceased. If you want to live, go inside your room, lock the door, and don't call the cops until tomorrow morning. I'll be outside watching, and if I see or hear you do anything, I'll be back. I know that sounds very Terminator. I know that sounds outrageous, but it's a strange coincidence that the latent shoe print was found outside the door of the one eyewitness who survived, outside the door that DM opened and from which she stuck her head out and immediately spotted the masked man walking toward her. It's possible he didn't see or hear her open the door, but it's also possible that he did. It is incredibly strange that neither DM nor anyone else dialed 911 until a few minutes before noon the next day. Don't you agree? That makes zero sense no matter how much shock you attribute to DM. And again, I'm not saying this to shame her, blame her, or call her out. If someone allowed me to save my life by following some conditions after I knew that my friends were already gone, I'm pretty sure I'd do it. We know from what the coroner said about the four victims' wounds that they likely passed away within seconds of being injured. There was not going to be a miracle in the way of first responders being able to revive any of the victims, even if DM dialed 911 as soon as that man exited the house. So I think it's possible DM made a deal to live. And again, I would not blame her at all. I'd do the same thing. Now, what is a latent shoe print? A latent print, in this case, a latent shoe print, is an impression that is not visible to the naked eye. Latent fingerprints, handprints, footprints, or shoe prints often occur on hard surfaces like glass and concrete. So a floor is a logical place to look for and find latent shoe prints. According to a document entitled, Processing Guide for Developing Latent Prints that I found in the archives of the Federal Bureau of Investigation at www.archivesfbi.gov. A latent print consists of a combination of different chemicals that originate from natural secretions, blood, and contaminants. To discover and capture a latent print, the crime scene analysts can choose from several different methods. The type of method used to discover and capture latent prints depends on many things. One thing would be the type of surface the print is on. Is it porous or non-porous? I'm not going to go over the dozens of methods and products crime scene analysts can choose from 
because that would be very confusing and more information than you or I need to understand latent prints. Here are the basics. One of the most common methods for discovering and collecting latent prints is by dusting a smooth or non-porous surface with a black or gray powder. If any prints appear, they are photographed and then lifted from the surface using a clear adhesive tape. The lifting tape is then placed on something called a latent lift card to preserve the print. But these powders can easily contaminate evidence and ruin the opportunity for the analyst to use other techniques to capture the latent print. Therefore, investigators may examine the area with an alternate light source, or they may apply something called cyanoacrylate, which is otherwise known as superglue, before using the black powder. I bet you didn't know superglue was used at crime scenes. According to an article entitled, A Simplified Guide to Fingerprint Analysis on the ForensicScienceSimplified.org website, Alternate light source, or ALS, is becoming more common for investigators to use to examine any likely surfaces for latent prints, so things like doorknobs, windows, staircase railings, sliding glass doors, floors, and so on. These light sources are laser or LED devices that emit a particular wavelength or spectrum of light, some devices have different filters to provide a variety of spectra that can be photographed or further processed with powders or dyes. The article says, and I quote, For example, investigators may use a blue light with an orange filter to find latent prints on desks, chairs, computer equipment, or other, end quote. According to this same article, Investigators can even capture latent prints on a victim's skin, clothing, or other difficult surfaces. What? Something called amino black is a protein stain that reacts with any protein present in the latent print. It is typically used for developing or enhancing bloody impressions on human skin. And when it comes to revealing prints on someone's clothing or on a piece of material, say a sheet or a bedspread, there are high-tech methods such as something called vacuum metal deposition using gold and zinc. And to lift powdered latent prints from rough textured or curved surfaces, a liquid casting compound called Accutrans can be used. This AccuTrans liquid is described in this article as, and I quote, basically a very thick liquid that fills in the nooks and crannies of rough or textured areas where conventional print lifting tape encounters difficulty, end quote. So according to the probable cause affidavit for the case in Moscow, Idaho, the investigators found a latent shoe print during the second processing of the crime scene. And this makes sense to me, now that I know a latent print isn't visible to the naked eye. According to the affidavit, 
The latent shoe print was discovered when the Idaho State Police forensic team used a presumptive blood test and then amino black, that protein stain that detects the presence of cellular material. Those methods revealed a shoe print with a diamond-shaped pattern similar to the pattern of a Vans-type shoe sole just outside DM's bedroom on the second floor of the house. And according to the author of the affidavit, Officer Payne, that shoe print is consistent with DM's statement regarding the suspect's path of travel. Now, I'm pretty sure that the police will have scoured Brian Koberger's apartment in Pullman, Washington, his white Hyundai Elantra, as well as whatever room he stayed in at his parents' house in Pennsylvania, looking for a shoe with that diamond pattern on its sole. It is also likely that the investigators have tried to follow the route they believe Koberger drove back to Pullman, Washington on the night of the crime to see if any clothing items and shoes were maybe discarded on the side of the road. Would Koberger have been that sloppy, or would he have stopped somewhere along the road in a remote part of the countryside and then buried these items? Or would he have found a dumpster somewhere and ditched the items in it? He certainly had some time, because there's about mm, 45 minutes missing in his timeline from when it shows the car leaving Moscow, Idaho, and traveling toward Pullman, Washington. Something for you to ponder. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories, do me a favor, smash that like button, and please subscribe to my channel.